Hi, I'm Jess Binneth. And I'm Kate Montague. And you're listening to the Audiocraft Podcast, a series of recordings from our 2017 conference. And this is Rules of Engagement. It's a session about why it's important to find stories outside your bubble and how audience and community engagement can help you do that. The three producers on this panel have each experimented with all different forms of engagement, and here they share what has and hasn't worked for them. The ABC's Jess O'Callaghan moderated this one, and she was joined by Jessica Cox from 2SER and Jess Ong from the Spun podcast. So this is basically a Jess fest. (laughs) And engagement can kind of seem like a really sort of abstract concept. So just to sort of the way we're going to talk about it today is really just the relationship that you have with your listeners and also the relationship that you have with the communities that you're reporting on or telling stories about. So how you have how you sort of manage those relationships and I think um, especially in the past 10 years or so engagement has really been caught up in technology as well so um, when we think about engagement um, as it relates to storytelling we can often think about um, the technological tools that that let us engage with those audiences so that'll come up today as well it's not entirely what what we're talking about but it is um, when you're thinking about technology engage and engagement you're really thinking about like how technology can be a tool to to interact with those audiences and and really make your storytelling sort of a, a two-way street so we all come at it from a really different perspective um, and I might just get start by getting and also sorry without Charmaine we're all called Jess so I'm <laughs> just gonna have to follow along whoever's talking at that moment you know <laughs> it'll make your note-taking better it's just um, so Jess Ong maybe I'll start with you um, in your work with Spun you've um, you've done a really good job at sort of building this community um, around your storytelling, even before you had a podcast. Can you talk to us a bit about, about how you did that? Mm, so, hello. Um, yeah, we so Spun started as a live event. Um, my collaborator and ideas woman, Johanna Bell, who's down the back, um, she came up with this idea of a live storytelling night in Darwin and um, I came on as well and we started out two years ago and the premise was um, that we would pop up once a quarter around Darwin and shine a light on the untold stories of um, people who live in Darwin and so we did that for two years and um, we did well, we have sold out every event so far, so we're pretty stoked about that because it's there's clearly a hunger and a passion for live storytelling in Darwin. So we um, we started out as a live event, which I think really helped us um, develop a a platform and a um, a point of reference for people when it came to our podcast. So. Um, yeah, we, we had a different sort of engagement because we were engaging a live audience and also engaging our storytellers. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of how we we came to light, really, and, and we've gone on ever since, essentially. I think your engagement with your storytellers is really interesting too because for a lot of us in radio and in working in audio, we will interview someone and, and sort of take their story and then... Um, you know, lay our production onto that, onto mm. that story, onto the tape that we've collected. But mm. your production process is kind of flipped, right? Like you're really working with those people who um, aren't professional storytellers no. to to learn how to articulate what they want to get across. That's right. So we um, work for about eight weeks out from each of our events with our storytellers. Um, as Jess said, they're everyday people. So that's a really beautiful thing for us because it means, um, you know, there's their stories and people who just quietly go about their business and um, we 
I find it, and I'm sure my SPUN team does too, a real privilege to to work with those people and, and offer them a platform to to share their stories. So we do work with our storytellers quite a way out from our events. Um, and that's a really interesting process because, you know, we've our, our storytellers are so diverse and that's one thing that Spun really programs and places a lot of emphasis on is having um, diverse storytellers. So we almost um, curate for diversity backwards in some ways because a lot of storytellers who are recommended to us um, do fit that typical storyteller older Anglo male um, and we tend to program them last so we you know make an effort to um, to to represent other um, walks of life before we get to that point so I might ask you more soon about um, sort of the nuts and bolts of actually like getting them to that point on stage yeah. I think that's really interesting um, mm. but first we'll have a chat to the other Jess uh, <laughs> Jessica Cox um, your process um, with Harkin. Can you tell us a bit about that and what you're doing? Um, what you're doing with Seeking Sydney? Yep. So our project's called Seeking Sydney. Um, it's basically a crowdsourcing project that um, allows us to get our story ideas from our audience. So the process starts when we give a prompt question. Um, it could be as simple as "What do you want to know about Sydney?" Then people will submit questions. Um, We've actually got our first story that is about the Bruce Lee statue in Cogra. Um, <laughs> um, and so we follow up with the person who submits the question as well and we involve them in the process of making that story. So we involve them throughout, um, from submission of question to basically the full production. We might even bring, sorry, we might even bring them into the studio and kind of interview them and bring them along on the process of kind of finishing that story and finishing that question. Um, and it gives, I guess, a wider range of stories as well because you don't, you get more questions that you wouldn't typically think of. Um, for example, like the Bruce Lee statue in Cogra, I didn't even know about it. Um, and like Curious Canberra, they have questions like, um, why don't we have front fences? Um, I think it was like, I think it's actually like a law. There's a, like, yeah, there's, and there's um, what will happen when a zombie apocalypse happens. Um, so you get those kind of odd questions that you wouldn't normally think to produce. Um, so yeah, you get those, I guess, non-radio background people asking you questions and that kind of puts you outside and helps you think, think outside the box. I think too with so you're really using the technology of Harkin to yeah. to flip that to flip that process right so yeah. whereas you or your reporters would usually um, have to rack their brains and sort of use their own um, experience and scope of of knowledge to think of a question um, you're kind of allowing the audience through this technology to to come up with those questions for you yeah definitely and I think. Um, it really involves the audience a lot more. So they feel a lot more connected throughout the process because they're being involved from point A to point B. Um, and so they get to see that finished product, um, you know, throughout the whole process. And I think that's, that's uh, really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, have, what are some of the questions that you, you guys have received so far? So they kind of range, right? Like some of them are like kind of 
quirky trivia about a place that you might not have thought of before and sort of history and others are, um, you know, maybe more big picture as well? Yeah, um, so some of the questions we've received are um, how high is the Harbour Bridge? Um, someone asked, as an ex-Sydney cider, um, why are people still living in Sydney with the high housing rates? Um, so I thought that was really interesting um, having an ex-Sydney cider also ask the question... Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be just Sydney, um, which I think is a really great thing as well. It involves not only Sydney ciders, but it can involve people outside of the Sydney bubble um, to kind of ask questions that they would like to know about Sydney. Um, and I think some of the other questions um, specifically are to do with 2SCR as well. So um, I think there's a question about our producers... Um, and so it's you get kind of those different questions that you wouldn't normally think of producing. I think it's interesting with all the so Harkin is sort of a technology that lots of different stations use now, and, and I think it's really interesting, um, like the appeal that those really local stories seem to have. Um, I mean, I enjoy listening to Harkin podcasts from around the world, and I think that it's really interesting how those stories still resonate outside of outside of just the the location that they're about so for instance I love those those curious Canberra story like that one about the fences is really interesting and you like wouldn't think that a story about fences in Canberra would be interesting but it like they make it they tell it in a way that like it sort of um yeah teaches you about how planning works and how um you know how people relate to each other and interact with each other so that's that's a really interesting um yeah, when you flip that and when you give other people control of the questions, I think that yeah. there's um, you tap into something else as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, you kind of get those odd questions, <laughs> very odd questions, um, and they can become a story. You know, with the typical radio production, you kind of you come up with the story, you follow it up, you look, you produce the story and it goes on radio. Um, but with this you're sourcing your questions from, you know, maybe the old lady who's lived in Sydney for her whole life and she's lived in that same house, but she doesn't, she wants to know why her, you know, why something is the way it is in Sydney. Um, So you get those questions from places that you wouldn't normally get them. Have you guys thought about the audience in a different way, do you think, since you've been (laughs) using these tools to tell stories, like since you've been telling stories this way, has, has it changed how you think about um, the listener ultimately? Like, are they positioned differently in, um, you know, your relationship to them, I guess? Like, when you're making um, – you've kind of gone through such a strange process because you do have that that real – in real-time feedback from mm. the people in that audience. Mm. And then you also now have a podcast. Like, are you thinking about that audience? Um, are they one sort of big blob of people to you or are you thinking about them as different communities? Um, I think we do think about them as different communities. I think the the live experience is really important for us, but it's also important that that translates into the podcast. And I think um, so far um, we've managed to to do that. Um, but I think like our audi- our live audiences are so loyal and um, have been so engaged with us and are really forgiving enthusiastic audiences and you know we started out as I said two years ago um, and our we've just moved really really quickly and our audiences have played a really big part with that 
Um, so they've almost just been a part of our, our journey, really. Um, so I think for us, our, our live audience, you know, they're there to experience it. And, and now that we have this podcast, you know, our, our whole idea is to take these stories from the NT, which, you know, bust a lot of stereotypes about who lives in the NT and what we get up to and, you know, that there is more to us than just Crocs, um, which, you know, I think everyone is aware of. But when you really drill, drill down into um, the Darwin community, there's some really fascinating and really remarkable people who just get on with their lives, as there is in every community. But I think it's particularly special in Darwin because it is such a small place and um, your proximity to people is really, really small and you'll always know someone. So um, so our audiences have been a part of that, that journey and um, I just lost my train of thought. But you're now taking it to this. Like, yeah, sorry. So we are we are here. taking it to this to this new platform and taking these stories walking. And so I think for us now, our audience, yeah, it has it has changed a little bit. But I think as well, we really it's really important to us that we maintain the integrity of of spun through that podcast and we let the voices of our storytellers sing. So even though our our audience has changed a little bit, I think um, there is a lot of crossover and. You know, our, our whole idea behind the, the, the podcast is to, you know, give you a bit of an armchair travel to the north. So while you're trudging in the rain, um, you know, on your commute, we're just sweating and sweating away, really, except for now when it's beautiful weather and freezing <laughs> down here. Um, you know, you can experience life in a tropical town because um, I think it really does provide a nice insight. So... Like, as someone who has been rained on while listening to your podcast, um, <laughs> I really love... Um, there are moments in Spun where the the person presenting, the person, the storyteller will um, give an anecdote or, or say something as part of a story that um, is really local, like is, mm. is hyper-local and it's just such a reference that that I don't get but the crowd loves it. Like they they crack up because they they get that There's reference. Recognition, yeah. And, um, and, but even as a listener who doesn't get it, I still love those moments because they are really specific. And even if you don't know, I think the example that I'm thinking of is like this, this guy in one of the stories references, like looking out the window over the bins out the back of a specific store. And yeah, like Uncle Sam's, which is where um, <laughs> I've spent a bit of time at, at 3am. Right. Okay. It's like your dirty, um, I don't know where you go to get something gross that you probably regret the next morning so yeah, yeah you it. kind of yeah it evokes that yeah right so I don't <laughs> I don't know specifically Uncle Sam's but I, I do know places like that and I have my own you know my own vision of, of a window with you know looking over the car park bin so mm. I think that I think that like hyper locality and that relationship that you guys have with your storytellers and with the people in that little audience um, does have this like real relatability for audiences who are coming to the podcast yeah. from like rainy Melbourne. Yeah, and I think for Spun, like it's always been important to us um, that we're very place-based as well. Um, and so I think that that really does come through in the podcast. And there is that tension of wondering whether to re remove or explain those, maybe not remove, but to really explain those references to our audience. Um, so it's good to know that it, while you don't actually, um, you know, you can't, 
know specifically what Nick was referencing then, um, you do have an understanding within your own world of, of, you know, what he might have been alluding to. So, And I think the audience, like hearing the audience in there too gives you that indication. Mm. You're like, oh, this is a place that yeah. people go for, yeah, late night snacks. Yeah, know? that's right. So they're all having a chuckle. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I think, sorry, just that is, um, I think, a really special thing and a powerful thing about Spun's storytelling being live and it, it then moving onto the podcast platform is you still do have those um, audience moments and recognitions. So um, I think that does provide a little bit of a hint, you know, as to yeah what, what the reactions are yeah. and how you should be feeling as the listener. Um, can we talk a little bit about your process, about how you sort of find storytellers mm. and produce them? Because I think with um, live storytelling in particular, um, it can be a really invisible process that you don't that you don't see, that people mm. don't recognise what goes on. That's right. And that's actually something Yo and I were talking about um, is um, producing live stories um, is you need, as a producer, you need to be okay with being invisible yeah. and, um, you know, sort of being a little bit... Except for today. More behind the scenes, <laughs> yeah. Um, so our process, as I said, Spun um, pops up once a quarter. So we uh, program our event, our next event, probably about eight weeks out. We're always thinking, because our theme, um, sorry, our nights are themed, um, so we're always, you know, coming up with themes that we feel are broad enough to, you know, garner a, a good number of stories. Um, but, yeah, we probably work with our storytellers, as I said, who aren't professional storytellers. We have had a couple of authors in the past, but most of the time they're just everyday people. So... Um, you know, we've had a mechanic most recently who was also a stargazer. Um, we've had teachers, disability support workers, um, a meteorologist, a surgeon. Um, yeah, so we've, we've had a full gamut of um, storytellers. And so because they're not professionals, um, we work with them about eight weeks out from our event. Um, and you tend to develop this really beautiful but really close uh, relationship with them whether they like it or not like I kind of tend to be like okay I'm going to just pounce on your life now and ask you all of these questions that otherwise would be really creepy but tell me about your life type things so we we find our storytellers in a number of different ways um, obviously being in Darwin as I said you do tend to know more people um, or links to people through other people. So um, we go through our own networks, but then also um, things that we've read and seen around the place and then just hunt these storytellers down essentially and convince them that they've got a story worth sharing because that's obviously the hardest thing is that, you know, we all have stories and carry stories with us, but it's whether you actually feel them feel that they're important enough to share. And um, so that's, I think, a big part of our job is to actually give... Yeah, say, let them know that their stories are valid and have a place. And then we work with them. Um, sometimes that varies, like depending on how confident they are. We, um, we might see them once a week or, or more than that in the lead up to the event. Um, and then we just help shape their stories. So they'll come to us or we'll go to them with an idea of, you know, something we know of about their story. And then we help find a narrative through that. Um, and then it's just a matter of working with them to help bring out and bring to life the best parts of their story. And it's also important to us that, um, you know, as producers, but also because they're not professional storytellers, that when they tell their story on the night, it's really important to us that they feel like they're in a safe, comfortable space. You know, that's, there's no way that we would put someone on stage um, and just let them feel exposed, you know, because you do 
as a producer, you do develop this relationship with them and there's also, you know, an, almost an extension of yourself on stage. And so there's, you know, we support them through the entire process. But um, yeah, it's a pretty fascinating fascinating journey so what you said there about um sort of making sure that they feel you know confident and safe when they're on stage that's mm. something that I wanted to talk to you both about in that um do you think there's a greater responsibility and maybe we'll start with you Jessica about when you are using when you are working really hard to engage an audience um do you think there's a heightened responsibility to um to those stories to tell those stories in a way that they will then find authentic and think that you know, they ring true to the story that they, they want to tell? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you're telling us, well, telling stories that people, of questions that people have submitted. Um, so I feel like they, I guess, have a personal connection to that question because it's come from a place of genuine curiosity or maybe, you know, genuine interest. Um, so you don't want to kind of stuff up the story for them um, and also to find the answer, I guess, maybe not the answer that they were originally looking for, um, but to kind of give them that ending to kind of round out the story. Um, but, yeah. Something else really cool that you guys do too is that the fact that um, you you get their information, you get, you know, a way to contact them when you get their questions. So, like, if they do want that extra involvement in the story, I think it's really, like, that might be also a way to, like, give back to someone for asking the stories, like, letting them be as involved as they want to be too. I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, in a part, as part of the form, um, people fill in their details. They can s uh, submit anonymously, um, but we still get their email to kind of let them know, oh, how your questions going to a voting round or, hey, we've chosen your question, we'd like to get you involved. And if they choose to, they can be involved. If they don't want to, that's also fine. But it's to let them know that their story is being produced um, and that, you know, their question will get that answer that they're possibly looking for or maybe it's a different answer that, you know, is better than what they were looking for. Yeah, I feel like because we did something similar um, in my work with R and Drive, we tried we got voice memos from people asking questions <coughs> about the the federal budget, and I know that we um, we found that we felt like a pretty big responsibility to then make the um, make what we gave them in return really <laughs> worthwhile. You know, like they've asked, they've um, given us their stories about like different policy areas, and whereas normally we'd sort of. <coughs> you're always trying to think about the audience and serve the audience, but when you literally have their voice, like asking you a question or telling you a story, like mm -hmm. it just seems different all of a sudden. Like they seem like they're, if they're part of the process, then you're like the stakes are somehow higher and you've got to like really make your audio good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do yeah. you find that when you're, I mean, you have a responsibility to the people on stage, but I'm sure the people in the, who come to the events as well kind of like hold you accountable for the, the you know, the stories that you're telling and, you know, even things like, like that you're trying to um, program, you know, diverse voices and trying mm -hmm. to tell stories from Darwin that aren't those, those stereotypical, stereotypical stories, yeah. like that relationship must um, sort of keep you honest in that way. Yeah, it definitely does. And as I said, they are very loyal and forgiving, but they also, our, our close proximity to them means that, um, you know, we do get a lot of feedback as well. And I think that that's a really great thing actually. And I don't, as far as I know, I don't think we've um, had any major 
you know, negative feedback. Um, but yeah, for us in terms of um, that authenticity around storytellers, um, you know, we have a really collaborative approach with our storytellers and it's almost like a co-creation of the story. Um, and so, you know, you can work with a storyteller and bring them up to a certain point, but ultimately the way that it unravels on stage live um, is really up to them and the spirits, you know, and um, it also depends on the type of storyteller they are and the motivation they have. So I think as well, um, yeah, it's important for us to be able to relinquish control at a certain point and know that it's just going to happen. And in fact, there was one um, storyteller I worked with, not at our most recent one, but the one before, and she had the most layered, complex story that for me, I just saw so many beautiful moments of tragedy and triumph and just like, oh, this is just really quality, great stuff. Um, And she thought that too, but in a different way. And then when it came to the night, she, I think, got a lot more nervous than she realised and and just kind of um, needed a bit of... um, support at the start and then once she got going she just owned this like you know it the story just completely flipped from this really poignant um not somber but this slow moving story to like this raucous riot on stage and I was just like um (laughs) holy moly this is not how (laughs) this is this is not how you know I saw this story unraveling but for her it was almost like a celebration for her. And the audience, obviously I was the only one who knew how we had, you know, rehearsed it and and things like that. And everyone just thought this was awesome because it it just, yeah, she just totally flipped it and and it it really worked. So I think, you know, you can work with storytellers to a point and then whatever is authentic for them on the night is is going to come through and, and their personalities as well, so... Um, In a moment, we'll take some of the questions from the audience, but I wanted to ask you both, um, like, if you have any advice for if there are people who are looking at, um, you know, engaging the audience in new ways in their audio, um, what piece of advice or what's something that's been helpful to you um, going into these projects to to know? Um, I think it's a slow process. You have to kind of know that it will take time. It's not going to... Um, shoot off overnight I mean it might but you kind of have to remember that you know people might not engage with it they may engage with it and you kind of just have to roll with the punches I guess and also that not everyone is necessarily necessarily going to like everything you know Mm. and I think that being okay with that is is the most important thing and I I have struggled with that like you know when you put a storyteller on stage who you've worked with you know, we don't identify at, at spun events who's worked with what storyteller. Um, but you do feel a part of yourself up there. And so I think it's important to remember that the audience, just because they don't like one thing doesn't mean that they hate you and they're never going to listen again. So I think that's a really essential thing to remember. I think um, sort of similar to your advice, like if um, if something doesn't take off, I think like not being scared to tweak your approach as well is really important because often I think it's easy to give something a go and if you don't get this massive response straight away you're like oh people don't even want to engage you know like oh they don't care about this thing that we're making I should just do it the old way Mm. but I think um, like learning that often it's yeah your question or your prompt or the way that you're going about 
you know, maybe you need to get your hands dirty a bit more and engage, mm-hmm. you know, specific community groups or something. I think maybe, um, yeah, knowing that success won't come straight away and it's it's not the audience's fault. It's yeah. like you need to keep working on that. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll open it up for questions now. Is that, yeah. Um, does anyone have a question? One of the things I think about a lot is um, how engaged people are in their iPhones. I'd like to, just generally outside of podcasts, I'd like to think that by being involved in podcasts, you are <clears throat> stopping people from just looking down at their phones all the time. But do you think that that means that they're engaging more with the outside world if they're just walking along the street listening to a podcast? You mean engaged in like on a human to human, like are we taking away from a human to human engagement with our podcasting? Yeah, if, yeah. if, if you could say that um, social media is taking away from people's personal engagement with each other, do you feel like podcasting is sort of giving it back a little bit? Oh, right. Like, I hope so. <laughs> like, I certainly feel really engaged with the podcast hosts that I listen to. <laughs> so hopefully they've replaced my real-life relationships, <laughs> I guess. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think through Spun's podcast and just Spun as a live event, um, our premise is about connecting people and and starting conversations. So I think that if you're on a bus um, in Sydney and you're hearing a story from a young Indigenous meteorologist, I think that while, you know, your real-time engagement is diverted to your podcast engagement, I, I would like to think that the questions and um, insights that that story might give you at that time would then help your engagement in your real time later on and also trigger or provide um, an impetus to to ask questions about your neighbour or the person across the street from you who you might otherwise not engage with. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers it. Um, yeah, I think with Harkin, um, it's definitely about connecting people um, because we're involving our audience, which would normally be a one-way street, and it's definitely more of a two-way street because we're getting that feedback from the audience and saying, this is what we want to hear. Um, so I think, yeah, it definitely connects people, um, and it uses social media as well to, um, I guess, amp up that connection. And also it means that it creates a conversation for you to take elsewhere, you know, so to your mates at the pub and and say, hey, I listened to this really great podcast. So there is a trigger for connections within a broader community, even if it means for, you know, 15 minutes that you might be in your own zone. So I, yeah, I think that is a great role in some ways that podcasts play. Um, I just have a question about, like, what does success look like and how do you track it? I think, um, so I think with engage, yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I think with engagement, it can be, you really have to set your own marker for success. So it, it's definitely less about how many, often it's less about how many people are listening to your podcast as it is how many people are engaged in some way in your podcast. So even, um, I know there's a, a fantastic program um, from Capital Public Radio in America called The View From Here. And they do, I think they've put out like 
I think they've only put out like a couple of programs in years, right? Like they work for a really long time on these stories, but they um, engagement is kind of the aim. So that's identified as like their outcome is how engaged they were in those stories and how much they, um, you know, how satisfied the um, different community groups and stakeholders they were working with were that that was their story reflected um, in the the finished piece of audio, which is it has been like a, a sixty minute documentary or something, you know. So, so I think that um, it is really important when you're you're engaging audiences in in audio that that if that is your aim is to have, you know, to really work with communities or have these people involved in your stories that. Yeah, not just seeing listens and downloads and, um, you know, fame and glory as your outcome, really seeing like, um, yeah, how how much they identify with those stories as sometimes an outcome. And it might differ on a scale, like it's not to say don't care about who listens because like you might care a, a lot who listens, but it's really about like, yeah, I think knowing, um, knowing within your own team and your own, um, you know, goals, what that looks like. You guys have. How do you measure success? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting question. Um, for me, I think it's really fascinating. I um, like with our storytellers, I feel they're they're a good measure as well if they're feeling comfortable. And after afterwards, you know, our our idea with Spun is to also create a conversation between the audience and the storyteller. So quite often, it's a really lovely site afterwards. Um, that everyone comes together and there is a whole lot of engagement between our storytellers and our audience so that that gap is really small and um, that barrier has been broken. So I, I suppose that's a, that's a form of success for us, that people are still talking about their stories and it encourages other people to come out with their stories. Um, but I was just thinking, like, engaging with our storytellers, you know, a measure of success around that is that they actually obviously are willing and a willing participant and do it on, on the night. But there was one where I had a storyteller I really wanted to engage in her story and she was actually a sex worker um, and it was for our theme chemistry um, and I wanted a story of a sex worker who had fallen in love with her client and um, I actually found someone through a lot of digging and harassing um, and... I still view that as a success because it, she was really surprised that someone was interested in that story. And unfortunately, it didn't come off because there was just too much at stake for her um, because not even no one knew that she was a sex worker. Um, and obviously, being in Darwin, um, that's a pretty tricky thing to maintain. And, I'd, you know, we'd, Yo and I had talked about pre-recording and changing her voice and having her behind a curtain and... Um, so, yeah, I think, like, for us, you know, for me as a producer, a measure of success differs a lot of the time and, and just, you know, giving validity and understanding that woman's story, I think, is also a form of success, even though it didn't make it to the stage. So, yeah. I think it differs as well. Um, but I think in terms of Harkin, it's getting that question answered for that person to kind of, you know, give them that answer that they were looking for and they couldn't find because they can't Google it because it's really difficult to kind of find that answer. And I think getting that question answered for them is a really big success. And I guess getting the questions in for Harkin is probably part 
like a harder part of the process because we need people to actually submit questions. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess, yeah, in itself, getting the story made is a success. Um, hi, my name's Teresa Blake. Yeah, um, this is really interesting. I come from theatre and in theatre, um, contemporary theatre has been experimenting with audience participation for a long time and obviously with spun stories and harken to a degree with the questions, you sort of that's what you're doing and I was really wondering what really specifically how you work with the storytellers because I'm thinking that a producer is kind of like a theatre director and really specifically do you give them exercises to do or what like not vaguely, but quite specifically, say on the first time you meet them or the second time when you start working with them? Mm. So the first time that I meet with our, well, with my storyteller, it's basically just a bit of a get to know you. We at Spun really ask our, our storytellers to bring themselves to a point of vulnerability, to really reveal themselves on stage. And not all of our stories are super serious, but not all of them are, you know, thigh-slapping hilarious either. So, but regardless of how the, the I suppose, the genre of their story, they, all of our storytellers have revealed a massive part of themselves on stage up, up till now. Um, and I think that that's a really brave thing to do given how small Darwin is. So I think as a producer, you're, you also have an obligation to the storyteller to reveal a bit of yourself as well. So that's normally what I do when I first meet with the storyteller. So meeting them for the first time face to face, um, you know, yeah, it's almost like, I suppose like a first date almost, but a little bit more intense because maybe no one would go on a date with me again after, <laughs> <laughs> after they hear some of the things. But I think, you know, you need to, to offer them the same thing that you're requesting from them. So it's a matter of just doing that and breaking down those barriers and then they just we often ask our storytellers to record themselves rather than writing down their stories because on the night it's ideally our stories are told without notes so the more you can move away from relying on paper the better we feel um, and then yeah it's just a matter of them I suppose just telling me the rough form of their story and then I would go away and and look at um, I suppose different narrative structures and talk to them about how they feel and I suppose you know you need to acknowledge and identify the type of storyteller they are as well you know you don't want to cram them into a box and then they feel like they can't move um, so yeah and then I come back to them with a few ideas around narrative and and then once you, you actually identify a um, a pattern for them or a shape rather um, it's interesting how they're like oh wow that's really I never saw it like that, but it totally makes sense now and I'm going to have to tell it to people on stage as opposed to my mate who knows me. So, um, yeah, once we do that and settle on that, that structure or form, um, it's just a matter of continually back and forth feedback, constantly recording their story. And so they do that a lot? A lot of sometimes, depending on, you know, how confident they are and and um, how much they feel and I feel that it needs to be workshopped but it really does vary like there was a guy I worked with who I really had this dad crush on and his name was um, Jacob and he lived in Alice Springs and he is the chief surgeon of at Alice Springs Hospital and so all of our producing was by phone and um, I didn't actually meet him until the night before spun and I picked him up from the airport and just like wanted, I just <laughs> felt like I'd known him all my life because I just had this, I was, yeah, it was a bit extreme. But anyway, so like that was, um, he was just a really endearing, very 
humble man and um, his story will be on the podcast at some stage and I if you do listen to it I highly recommend that you listen to him because yeah he's just a wonderful man but um, it was producing by distance and that was really that was really tough at times because I was working with someone who who was a medical professional and for him the idea of giving a talk was with a presentation behind him and in front of medical professionals. You know, like up until the event, he kept saying, oh, so the other presenters, how are their lectures coming along? And I was like, (laughs) no, 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 no lectures. So, but I, you know, I spoke to him probably twice a week um, for about 20 minutes and I, you know, got to know him quite well, even though we hadn't actually met. and so that was an interesting an, an interesting challenge, but it was also one of the most rewarding for me because he just was someone who was so close to start with and then I just kept prodding him, which was a risky thing to do from afar and also with an older man. Um, but he really gave way and what he ended up revealing on the night and how much he inserted himself was phenomenal given where we started. So I think, yeah, it really just depends on on the person and and what they feel they have to offer I love that you have them record themselves do they ever um like do you ever get a recording from someone and then you just know that they've written it and then read it into their phone yeah that happened um (laughs) that happened oh it was a quite a few spuns ago but um someone she had recorded herself and yo and I and another producer Tamara were listening to it and was so obvious that she was reading off the paper because she sounded so she was kind of reading like this and then you there was just no and she's a real um gesturer and so it was really important for us that Tamara who was producing her went back to her and said hey like we're not getting any of you here because you're so jammed up and so then the next big thing for her to do was um to drop that piece of paper and once she did she came to life and you could just hear it it was just an immediate change but um yeah it's interesting how much that changes when you actually let go of paper so we used to do that all the best we'd take their script away from them but they'd like we'd always let them do once through with it because otherwise they'd like be like no the script is better yeah so you had to just let them have one through do we have maybe one more question? Question. Oh, hey, Jess. Um, Jess. Hi, Jess. Yes. <laughs> this is going to get more confusing. This is more for Jess Ong because I think I understand how you guys at Harkin find stories. But, you know, you said that you're very much committed to finding stories that aren't just croc stories. Mm. But the croc stories would be really easy because they're on the front page. <laughs> so I'm wondering how you go about finding these stories, you know, and get to a point where you're comfortable that you have padded out your delivery, that it is you know, more of like the whole of Darwin rather Mm. than just those superficial, stereotypical Mm. stories? Like are people coming to you or are you seeking them out? Yeah, we do have a filing cabinet of stories um, from people who, you know, have come to us and said, hey, I feel I might have something. Um, And we kind of car park that until we feel it fits within a theme. Um, But, I mean, don't get me wrong, like croc stories are really great. And, you know, I mean, so, well, you know, they're great yeah, so long as there's – anyway. What... <laughs> but we have had some really one, like really fascinating croc stories and um, I'm sure there'll be more to come. Um, but, yeah, in terms of moving beyond the front page, I think it's, it's interesting. I grew up in Darwin, so I – and Yo has been there for a number of years now, so – um, I think there's a there's a privilege there around being in a small town that 
you know, people can pass names on and, and things like that and also people who we know. I think we really go for those stories that, yeah, that, that are beyond the front page but also when we come together as a, as a team that we get really excited about and, um, and we know there's been nothing like spun really in Darwin before and so um, I think we just, yeah, we pounce on interesting things and, and that is through our networks but it's also through things that we might see elsewhere like the mechanic stargazer, I, I think we got onto him through an ABC article. So, you know, we're not adverse to... It's not like we feel like we have to find everyone. You know, I think there is a, there's a two-way street there that um, people come to us and we find it out through other sources. So, um, but program, programming for diversity is something that we're really big on and um, that we really strive to, to bring to life. And I think so far we've, we've done really well at that. I think obviously there's room for improvement, but um, yeah, I think for the most part we, we really have shone a light and I think the audiences are really appreciative of that and I really hope with the podcast that for people who listen to it interstate or overseas really do get an insight into Darwin because not a lot of people have been there and you know we're closer I think you know Timor-Leste is closer to us it's like 600 kilometers away from us so you know it's it really is an interesting town and um I think it's a real priv privilege for us to be able to work with those people. So it's not something we take lightly. Um, it's something we will continue striving to do to move beyond that front page. So hopefully we have. Jess Cox, could you talk just a little bit about how the Harkin process works? Because my understanding is you're actually using a platform or an app or a, some sort of online yeah. process. So we've got a plug-in um, and it goes on our website. Um, and it's almost like a, I guess, a Twitter form. We, there's a limit of 140 characters um, and people fill out that form and that gets sent to the back end of Harkin. Um, and then we can approve the questions because we obviously don't want defamatory questions going up in our um, little view of the questions that have been submitted. Um, and then that process, we narrow down those questions and take them to a voting round and people can vote on which question they'd like to have um, made as a story. The and audience. Yes, the audience. Um, and so we kind of do a little bit of research to make sure that we can actually give them an answer because we obviously don't want a story that is a dead end and we, we finish the story as, oh, we couldn't actually give you the answer because there wasn't <laughs> enough to find, you know. Um, so we do a little bit of research beforehand and we let them know that this, their question has been chosen um, to kind of involve them in that process. But if they don't want to be involved, I mean, that's also fine because you can't force them to be involved in that process. And our reporters go and make the story um, and then it obviously gets put on um, our website and um, I think on... Um, one of our shows as well um, and you know that may or may not involve the person who's asked the question um, so yeah that de kind of depends on them but that's basically the process of Harkin um, and there's we've got a show page as well which you can see which questions have been submitted um, so yeah that's kind of I hope that's answered your question. I mean do you, do you get the on-air programs to kind of ask the audience to... Like, are you working with the radio as well or just with the social media audience? Oh, definitely on radio as well. Um, 
you know, we can fill out that form for them if someone submitted the question on air. So we can have someone call in, ask the question um, and have that written down so that we can submit that for them. Um, but, yeah, we definitely are involved on air as well in that process. Thank you, guys. You gave us heaps to think about. That was Jessa Callahan, Jessica Cox and Jess Ong speaking at the AudioCraft conference. All the Jesses were recorded on the day by ABC RN and this podcast is produced by Beck Fari. James Milsom did our music. Want to know when our next episode drops? You should subscribe and like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au. 